all know a guy who only occasionally shaves for big occasions, and it's because that occasional shave really hurts. It's the time of year for big occasions, and yet there he is, suffering with that cheap drugstore razor. Let's help him out. Henson Shaving's line of razors, built with aerospace precision, deliver a smooth shave your dad, brother, and even son can enjoy, eventually. With replacement blades just 10 cents each, you'll buy it once, and they'll use it for life. How's that for the perfect gift? Celebrate with 100 free blades on your first purchase, and no subscription headaches. HensonShaving.com slash holiday. How powerful is the Cox Network? So powerful that one day, the internet will let your doctor perform miracles from thousands of miles away. Connecting to remote operating room. Giving a whole new meaning to the term house call. Operation complete. The Cox Network. With gig speeds everywhere, it's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, bringing us closer. In Cox serviceable areas, speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms apply. Other restrictions may apply. Let's join Bishop Kevin J. Foreman. Take over, take make some noise in the house today. People that say, Lord, I'm not turning back, I'm not putting up, I'm not shutting up, I'm not stopping. Encourage somebody next to you. Say, neighbor, this word today is going to be ooh good. Not real good, it's going to be ooh good. Amen. Are y'all ready for the word of God today? Lift your Bibles high. Let's make our confession of faith together. This is my Bible. It is the living word of God. My mind is renewed. And my spirit is prepared to receive the word which produces faith. And faith pleases God. I'm not just a hearer of the word. I'm a doer of the word. This word. Shout it out. Hallelujah. Remain standing if you would and go to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter number 10. Didn't you like that testimony there that... That, uh, that that was actually the testimony from an African martyr, which means he actually gave his life and paid the ultimate price to follow Christ. Uh, God asked you for a couple hours a week for a little prayer here, only 10%, and folk got a problem with that, and yet that man was willing to pay with his life. Look at somebody say, let's step it up. Matthew 10, look at verse 34, you got it? Of course, first, we welcome those watching at all of our campuses today. We're excited that you're with us. Matthew 10, verse 34. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. Well, now, that goes everybody's ideas that God, oh, God, just is peace and, oh, peace, and everybody get along and, you know, hug the whales and love the elephants and all this. No, he says, I didn't come to bring peace. Now, he'll give you peace, but he said, that's not the reason I came. He said, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. A sword is a typology for the word. He says, verse 35, for I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Now, now, now you're saying, Bishop, does this mean that God doesn't want families to get along? Not at all. To the contrary, what he's saying, though, is, is who's going to be more important? Is your God going to be more important? Is your mama going to be more important? Is your daddy going to be more important? Is your God going to be more important? Is your husband going to be more important? Or is your God going to be more important? Is your wife going to be more important? Or is your God going to be important? Is your children going to be more important? Or is your God going to be more important? Verse 36, and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. 
He who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than we, me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Father, you hear me and you always hear me. I pray that over these next few moments, fathers, I share your word. Father, I pray that you tailor make it, customize it for us today, Father. We thank you that we're going to a whole nother level in our walk with you today. And we thank you, Father, that like that martyr was able to say, we've come way too far to turn back now. We've invested way too much to give up now. Even if we feel like giving up, we thank you, Father, that if we don't grow weary in well-doing, we're going to reap if we faint not. And we honor you for it now in Jesus' name. Somebody shout hallelujah. hallelujah. Do me a favor. High five two or three people before you sit down and tell them love life, love life, love life, love life. Uh, now, each week as we've been in this series, I have said to you uh, uh, that you're going to become an expert in the vision that God has given us. And each week I have started uh, every message in this series asking this question. And I need to do it every message so I know who I'm talking to because I preach differently to spectators than I do participators. So I just need to know who I'm preaching to so I know how to preach to you. So the series asks one question. We are going to change the world. And then it asks you at the end, are you in? I just need the folks that are in to make some noise for me right quick. Just so I know who I'm preaching to. All the spectators and sideline bench warmers, that's cool. I just need to know where the world changers are at. Okay, good. Now I know how to preach to you. Now, I told you you're going to become an expert on the vision God has given us. And for us, because we have 2020, a crystal clear vision, that's to lead people. People as inclusive of students kids and adults to totally love God, love people, and love life as one church in global locations. Now at Harvest, we want to build the kind of people that Jesus wanted to build. People that were the same inside of church as they were outside of church. People that were kind inside of church, but people that were kind when they got out into the marketplace. People that were consistent. Jesus says, I want to build people that they won't have to wear WWJD on their t-shirt. They're going to be so busy being that that they won't have to announce that. I want to build the people that they don't have to announce their Christianity. Their Christianity announces them. I want to build a people to where they don't have to announce that they're my followers, but when they show up, everybody knows they're my follower. Touch your neighbor and say, I know that's right. Now, in doing this, in doing this, it's so important because now watch this at Harvest. Our vision is our process to make disciples. In Matthew 28, Jesus says to the apostles, he says, go ye into all the nations and make disciples. Disciples are disciplined students. They are followers. They are people that have laid down their will to pick up the will of the one they are following. There are people that say, I decrease so that my leader can increase. Somebody say disciples. Now he says, go ye into all the nations, uh, baptizing them, making them disciples, and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So now uh, we take that mission that Jesus gave us, and we say at Harvest that our vision is our process to make disciples. Amen. And a disciple is a person that totally loves God loves people and loves life they're they're a disciplined student they're all of these things and more now now each week uh, in this series we've been going through we went through 2020 vision then we went to love god which is step one of the discipleship process 
Then we went to love people, which is step two of the discipleship process. And this week we're at step three, which is love life of the discipleship process. And for us at Harvest, uh, to love life and to mature as a greater disciple, the first thing is to mature as a disciple through what we call Sunday nights at Harvest. Somebody say that with me. Oh, y'all can say it better than that. It's too many of y'all to sound that weak. Say it again. Sunday. Now watch this. Some people don't last as Christians because they never become disciples. They, they become Christian consumers. They become church attenders. They become church hoppers. They become fans like Jesus is a Facebook fan page. But Jesus says, I'm looking for some followers like Twitter. I'm not looking for people that are so busy with what they're doing that they can't lay down what they're doing to pick up what I am trying to do in them. I'm, are there any disciples at any of the campuses today? Now, now disciples have traits. Disciples have traits. The disciple's a disciplined student. It's a person that totally loves God, loves people, loves life. It is a person that has been able to major in the major things, and they have been able to minor uh, in the minor things. It amazes me because so many times believers want to be in deep stuff, yet they haven't mastered the kiddie pool. And so they want to get all of this and be deep and all of this. And what did Jesus meant when he said this? And what about this? Well, I saw this on the History Channel. What about that? You need to just focus on the three simple things before you try to get into the deep stuff. Jesus says, I'll sum up the entire Christianity for you in a couple of verses. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second command he gave is like it. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. In short, he was saying... Now, it's amazing to me how many people want to move on to deep stuff and they haven't even conquered that. You, 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 you're trying to go for advanced classes and, and you're still struggling with two and two. That's ridiculous. That's foolish. That's counterintuitive. That's counterproductive. That's lacking intelligence. That's not who we want to be. Now, every disciple has traits. Say traits. 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 What makes a disciple? What, what makes a disciple? What makes somebody a disciplined student? What makes somebody? Well, well, look at it like this. What makes somebody a good student in school? Uh, uh, as, as, as a person that loves the power of education and loves the power of instruction and information, it is very interesting to me um, uh, what makes some of the best students the best. I found out that the best students are not always the smartest, they're not always the wisest, they're not always the best looking, they're not always the most popular, they're not always the most athletic, they're not always the most studious, but they are the most disciplined. If you're going to be an effective disciple for Jesus Christ, it's not you having to know all the Bible and to know this and to know that and to know all of that, but you're going to have to be the most disciplined student. And I know nobody likes hearing the word discipline because we live and if it feels good, do it society. That's why our society is bankrupt. We're bankrupt because everybody does what they want to do rather than living disciplined lives. Y'all not saying nothing and that's fine because I didn't come to hear you say amen. Self-discipline is one of the fruit of the Spirit. It's, it's part of the fruit of the Spirit. It is the ability for me to control myself. It is the ability for me to say to my flesh when it wants to do something, it ain't got no business doing. It's my ability to say, mm -mm. 
Self-discipline is my ability to say, even though I want this, it's not wisdom for me to spend this right now. So I'm not going to do it right now. Are there any disciplined people in the place? Because what's going to make you an effective disciple for Jesus is not how much Bible you know. It's not how much Hebrew and Greek you know. It's can you be disciplined? Are you here? Now, there, there are some, some traits. The first trait I noticed about some of the students that excel and people that excel is that they are submitted to God and leadership. Now, everybody typically can get with the first part. It's the second part sometimes people have a problem with because they don't see that God's leaders are, in fact, the representation of God, Romans 13. All authority that exists is by God. It is from God. It is for God. It is for your protection. Now, check this out. Luke 640 said, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. Every disciple has a teacher. That's why God would set you in a church like Harvest and give you a pastor named Bishop Foreman so that you could follow a teacher that follows the teacher. A lot of people just want to have them and Jesus, but Jesus says, mm -mm, that's not how it's going down. The scripture says everybody needs somebody to be an instructor, a teacher, a leader to them. Are you getting this? So, so, so now watch this. A good student, a good disciple is submitted not only to God, but they're submitted to leadership. Check this out. Not just in church, but out there too. H how do you act when your boss asks you to do something that you don't want to do? Because a good disciple is going to submit. Y'all not saying nothing. That's all right. I must be stirring your Kool-Aid violently. A good disciple is not only submitted uh, in church, they're submitted everywhere. A good disciple uh, has the ability to, to recognize the value of leadership because a good disciple understands that to submit is not a dirty word. It simply means sub, under a mission, to get up under a mission. And so that's why it's so very important that you be connected to a mission that you can sub, get yourself under in a subordinate fashion to because it is in your submission to God and it is in your submission to leadership that God says, I can use you in ways you never ever imagine but I can't trust somebody that can't follow somebody because everybody wants to be out front leading but everybody needs to learn how to step in the second seat sometimes and be the one following because the greatest leaders are the best followers Amen. are you here every good student recognizes the value of leadership submission say that with me submission I know it sounds like a dirty word say it again Submission. If you keep saying it, it won't be so nasty. Say it again. Submission. Oh, Jesus, I feel the holy. Endow me, Lord Jesus. This is, why, this is why in married couples where there's a husband and a wife, it is so important. The scripture says wives submit to your own husbands. But husbands, we've got to give our wives a mission to get up under. And so sometimes you say, well, she's not doing this, she's not doing this, she's not doing this. Because you have not given her anything to get up under. And so you're angry, but yet there is no mission for her to be under. That's why men need a pastor that will speak life into them. And I speak life into the men of harvest that you would rise up and be the leaders God has ordained for your families. No jelly backs around here, but strong men of God that will say, for God I live and for God I die. As for me and my house, we shall. But then the second trait, the second trait of a disciple is they are like MC Hammer. Sequence pants and all. They are too legit to quit. 
a disciple understands that they've come way too far to turn back now. Didn't say they didn't feel like turning around. Just said that they made the decision turning around is not an option. Because there's going to be some times in your walk with God that you're going to feel like, God, I can't do this no more. God, I'm throwing in the towel. God, it seemed like when I was out here doing my own thing, stuff was easier for me. And now that I'm following you, I got all of this drama. But I'm here to tell you there are some disciples in this region that say, God, I've come way too far to turn back. I am too legit to quit. Paul, as he's writing the Philippians, Philippians 3, 12 through 14, you can write it down. He says, not that I have already obtained or am already perfected, but I press on. In other words, he says, I know I got some issues. I know I got some stuff, baby, but I'm still pressing. I'm not going to get stuck in my stuff. I'm not going to get stuck in my foolishness. I'm not going to get stuck in my mistake. I'm not going to get stuck in my failure. I'm not going to get stuck in what they did to me. I'm not going to get stuck in what they took from me. I'm not going to get stuck in how they lied on me, baby, because I'm too legit to quit. Touch somebody say, that's me. That's me. Verse 13, he says, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, which means if you don't learn how to do anything else as a believer, you better learn this one thing. He says, this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind me and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press towards the goal of the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. Disciples have an understanding that turning back is not an option. And when their head feels like it's getting ready to turn to the side, they know how to check themselves and say, mm, boy, you didn't been through too much. He didn't saved you from too much. That accident should have killed you. That disease should have took you out. Those financial troubles should have made you lose your mind. Has anybody ever been brought out of where are the people that Jesus has done something for you? You're not here because of how good you are. You're here because of how good he is. Disciples remember Lot's wife. It is perhaps one of the shortest verses outside of Jesus wept. It is probably the second shortest verse in all of the scriptures, the canon that we have. It says, remember Lot's wife. Jesus is talking, and it is a powerful, potent statement packed in three words. He says, remember Lot's wife. You, you remember the story of Lot's wife that uh, when they were coming out of Sodom and Gomorrah, God was getting ready to destroy the city. And as he was getting ready to destroy uh, the city, he told Lot, he gave them fair warning to exit the city so that they would not participate in what was getting ready to happen to everybody else. See, you got to be careful uh, when you choose not to obey instructions that you don't understand. Uh, because sometimes it is instructions that you do not understand that obedience to that instruction will determine your future. Sometimes because you don't understand it, you just need to stop trying to sit there and figure it out and just obey. Touch your neighbor and say, just do it. Just do it. Baby, you need to be like Nike. Get you some Nikes on and just do it. Nike, the K-O in the Greek, to do. Disciples remember Lot's wife. As they're exiting Sodom and Gomorrah, which for the children of Israel, this would have been their Egypt. As they are exiting Sodom and Gomorrah, they are leaving. And in a split second, Lot's wife makes the worst decision of her life. Matter of fact, the decision was so bad, it ended her life. 
See, when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, the problem wasn't uh, where they were physically. It's where they were in their mind. Because even though they had come out of Egypt, Egypt had not yet come out of them. And so it was offensive to God that they would want to go back to a place that represented the bane of their existence. It's amazing to me how many people will look back at hell and say, well, it wasn't that bad. Are you out of your mind? It's amazing to me how many people will look at a horrible relationship and look back and say, I miss them. Are you, what are you smoking? You need to get locked up for what you're smoking because there's nothing good in your Egypt. What if he brought you out of it? I'm here to tell you there was nothing good in it. So Lot's wife now, she turns around and even though she's leaving Sodom, Sodom is still on the inside of her. And in a split second, she turns around and she looks. And she looks back. And when she looks back, the scripture records that at that moment, she was changed into a pillar of salt. That one bad decision. She didn't go back. She didn't start walking back. She just turned and looked back. I'm here to tell you, you are way too far. And maybe you don't know it, so let me talk to your neighbor. Your neighbor is way too far out there to turn back now. Jesus will do you like Peter. He'll, he'll do you like Peter. He'll say, come out on this water, boy, and walk. And Peter walking. Peter doing good. Peter walking. He's walking. And this is awesome. I'm walking on why ain't nobody ever, I ain't never seen nobody walk. This is incredible. <laughs> Peter's having a moment. You understand? Peter is going in. Peter is just, my God, Peter is there. And then all of a sudden, there begins to be a storm. But Peter recognizes, listen, I'm way too far out here to try to turn back. So I might as well just keep my eyes focused on you. He didn't start sinking until he got, all, got, got his focus off of Jesus and started focusing on his circumstances. I'm here to tell you that Jesus will do you like Peter. He will set you up, and that setup will then become upset. Because the moment you get out there, he's going to say, well, now what you going to do now with your storm? Because you're too far from the shore to turn around and try to swim back. Touch your neighbor and say, I've come way too far to turn back now. But then the third trait of disciples is disciples are not ashamed. Uh, it is amazing because you can tell people that are ashamed because a shame and grief accompany one another. And uh, when people are ashamed or when they are grieving, it makes them act crazy. And so they don't act like themselves. And so this is the reason why there were people that you used to be very close with that all of a sudden just fell off of the place of the planet. And you're trying to figure out, what did I do? You didn't do anything, baby. They were just guilty and they had shame. And that shame makes people act crazy. Shame makes people act like Adam and Eve in the garden when they knew they had trespassed God. What did they do? Instead of running to him, they started trying to make coverings for themselves. When people are ashamed and they feel guilty, they will begin to try to cover themselves. And so they'll run from a place of safety uh, where they should be and go to a place of, of discord and chaos where they should not be. Shame and guilt make people do crazy things. Amen. There was a movie, I taught about it a while ago, uh, the movie, I believe it was called uh, 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 Brothers. And it talks about uh, this guy that had come back. He was in uh, Afghanistan or Iraq, one of those uh, locations. And as he was there, uh, the terrorists made him uh, shoot his partner. It was either him or his partner. And so he had to end up murdering uh, uh, his partner, the one who he was supposed to be there to protect and to cover and to look after. They made him murder him. And so now uh, he left with his life, but he left with the guilt of taking another man's life. 
Whenever you see people begin to act very crazy and wild and crazy and outside of themselves, I'm here to tell you it's because they're grieving something. They're ashamed of something. And so all of that extra is a front to keep them from having to deal with reality. Y'all not going to say nothing. Because ignorance is a blissful place to be because I get to ignore reality. And so what ends up happening is that this man comes back and he's acting crazy. I mean, just weird. He's acting weird. He's acting weird with his wife. Weird. I believe he had children. Weird with his brother. Weird with his father. He's just acting weird. And as he's going through this, he begins to accuse his brother of all sorts of things. And one day he gets a gun and he comes outside of his house and the police show up and they're saying, what are you doing? You're a war hero. You're a hero. What are you doing? What are you doing? Why are you doing this? And you know what he says? He says, do you know what I've done? He got to the point to where it wasn't even him speaking anymore. It was his guilt speaking. But a real disciple understands that I cannot be ashamed. I don't have any time to be ashamed. Look, look at this, look at this, Philippians 1, 19 through 21, write it down. It says, for, uh, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope, watch this, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Look at verse 20. Look at it there on the screen. Look at verse 20 on the screen. According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed. Now, 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 let, let's just, I had to do this in one of the other experiences. So I'm just going to do it here too, just so we all get on the same page. Now, now, a thing is a noun, person, place, thing, idea, right? Okay, so he says in no thing, which means in no noun shall I be ashamed. Okay, no, you, you're not getting it. You're not getting it. You, you, you're not getting it. You're, you're not getting it. He says, I'm not going to let anything make me feel bad. I'm not going to let anything give me shame. Why? Because I'm in Christ. And if anybody be in Christ, all things have passed away. And behold, all things have become new and they are made new. Which means since I'm a disciple, I'm not ashamed of my past. I did that. I did that. I did that. I did that. I'm working on that. I'm working on that. I'm working on that. But baby, I may not be where I want to be. But thank God, I'm not where I used to be. I refuse to be ashamed because I'm in Christ. Which means the disciple says, I'm not ashamed of my past. I'm not ashamed of my Jesus. I'm not ashamed of my church. I'm not ashamed of my pastor. I'm not ashamed of praying over my food in the public. I will not be ashamed. Touch your neighbor and say, don't be ashamed. Don't, 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 don't be ashamed. And look, look at what he does. He gives, you, he gives you the antidote to shame. He calls it boldness. He says, boldness. Which means every time I feel guilt or shame trying to come on me, I get bolder for Jesus. Every time somebody looks at me crazy for praying so loud, I get bolder and I pray louder. Every time somebody looks at me crazy for shouting and praising God during the worship experience like I do, I look over at them and I start shouting louder. Because if they didn't want to be in the shouting section, they should have moved to the video cafe. But if they knew the hell I'd been through, they'd know why I praise him like I do. If they know the nights I had to cry myself to sleep, they'd understand when I praise him like I do. If they knew the times you wanted to blow your brains out, they'd understand why you praise him like you do. Where are the bold people at? Yeah. 
I said, where are the bold people at? Where are the unashamed people at? Watch this. Watch this. Watch this. Look at this. The, the fourth thing, the fourth, the fourth attribute of a disciple is they are dead to self. You saw it there in the martyr's testimony. They say, Lord, I'm yours. That's, that's what a disciple says. Say that, say that. Lord, look at Galatians 2.20. Just write it down. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, the verse we read when we started says that he who finds God finds life. So disciples get so lost in Jesus, they don't want to be found. Disciples say, Lord, I, I, it's not even about what I want. I know I had my five-year plan and my 10-year plan and my this plan. And by this age, I'm going to have this and this and this. And by this time, I'm going to do this. And by this time, I'm going to do this. But disciples say, but when I found you, I found your plan. And when I found your plan, I figured out that your plan probably doesn't line up with what my, my plan was. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Where? You had your plan to only find out that Jesus' plan was totally diametrically opposed to what your plan was. But a disciple says, it's not about what I want. It's about what you want. A disciple says, I've tried to do stuff my way and that's gotten me nowhere. Anybody a witness to that, that you tried stuff your way? How's that working out for you? It doesn't. And if you think it does, I'm here to tell you, you've been hoodwinked, you've been bamboozled, you've been sold a bill of goods. It only looks that way now, but baby, I'm here to tell you, it's a crisis coming. Jonah thought everything was good until they threw him off that boat. He thought he got away with not doing what God wanted for him to do until they put him in that water. And when they put him in that water and that big fish came and, and he figured out, oh, whoops. Sometimes things will look like they're going well when you're not serving God, and that's only a false mirage. It's to make you think that God's letting you get away with it. Okay, I ain't going to get about it to say nothing. That's fine. Preach, Bishop. Yes, sir. Watch this. A disciple says, I am dead to myself. I'm dead to low living. I'm dead to sight walking. I'm dead to smooth knees. Somebody asked me after one of the experiences, Bishop, does that mean you don't want people to put lotion on their knees? I said, no, 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 no. No, you better put some lotion on them knees. That's ungodly. No, don't be coming in church. About, See, Bishop, I got no smooth knees. I'm going to get the welcome team to get you some lotion. So that you don't offend the Lord or me or your neighbor. You don't want to start forest fires. Smooth knees. I'm talking about praying. Talking about praying. Talking about praying. Talking about praying. Uh, 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 a disciple says, I'm dead to colorless dreams. A disciple says, I'm dead to tame visions. A disciple says, I'm dead to worldly talking. A disciple says, I'm dead to cheap giving. A disciple says, I'm dead to dwarf goals because it's no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives. Now, if there's nothing impossible for God, why do I seem to have impossibilities? 
is because I haven't stepped over to being a complete disciple. But when you step over to being a complete disciple, what's impossible for others becomes possible for you. The stuff that you praying and fasting to get through, when you step into discipleship, baby, I'm here to tell you it'll happen for you overnight. When you step into discipleship, say that, discipleship, it happens for you. Watch this. These four attributes and so much more will be imparted to you and instilled in you through what we call Sunday nights at harvest, through groups like Men on the Road to Ish, groups like Daddy's Girls, groups like Student Leadership Academy, and so much more. But then the second piece to this third part of our discipleship process, which is love life. We added this kind of as a, as a special bonus. This is like a gold sticker edition here. It's for those of you that feel God's called you to lead or you feel like God has called you to do great things and you feel uh, like there's, there's, you want to go deeper into the word of God, then you need to attend Harvest Bible College. Amen. It's quiet in the cathedral. Amen. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Be diligent to present yourself uh, 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 approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightfully dividing the word of truth. Leaders recognize the need for preparation. Even the Apostle Paul, who spread the gospel to the entire continent of Asia in a little over two years, he spent years being trained and instructed by the apostles that were superior to him. He did not let the pride of his revelation keep him from receiving necessary information. A lot of times people, will they'll see a vision, they'll get a dream, they'll do this, and they want to skip the preparation process and just jump to the end. Not understanding that if you get out there and you're unprepared, baby, that's like getting in the middle of the ocean talking about you finna swim. Ain't no wall where you can put your feet on. Preparation is never a waste of time. See, a lot of people think that leadership is based on experience, and truthfully, it is when you're talking about senior levels of leadership. But the truth of the matter is, is that David was not experienced in being king, but he was prepared to do the lion, the bear, and the giant. You're not hearing what I'm saying. And so people that want to lead and want to do exceedingly great things for God, you need preparation, and Harvest Bible College will do that for you. Our mission at the Bible College is to equip the next generation of leadership in the body of Christ. And on top of that, you can earn your associates through doctoral level degrees. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like a pretty good plan to me. For those that this is for, this isn't for everybody. I started the Bible college for one reason and one reason only, and that's one verse of scripture, Hosea 4 and 6. God says, my people, not the world, not them, no, 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 my people, the believers, the saints, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Not a lack of faith, not a lack of praise, not a lack of worship. Not a lack of singing. No, no, no. He says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. There is nothing worse to me than somebody wanting a mic, yet they have nothing in their mind to say. Other than mimic somebody they saw on TV, thinking that because the people shout that they're doing a good job. Not understanding that if you play the right music, elephants will shout too. You play the right music, chickens will start clucking too. There's nothing worse than an unlearned somebody wanting to get up and try to teach somebody the nothingness they know. The nothingness that they know. Amen. There's nothing worse than somebody wanting a microphone, yet the only thing they got is some videos they saw for YouTube or somebody else. Amen. Preparation is never a waste of time. 
and the truth is, the statistics say that 80% of people drop out of ministry when they get involved in high levels of leadership. Statistics say something like 1,500 pastors a month quit the ministry. Just quit. No, no nothing, no note, no goodbye service. They just quit. Why? Because they're unprepared. Amen. And if you're talking about getting in a war, baby, you're going to need to learn how to use the armor you've been given. And so if you feel like God's called you to lead, then there's only one option for you, and that's to get prepared through Harvest Bible College. If that's for you. Now listen, I asked it at the beginning. I'm going to ask it again. How many disciples are in the place? Disciples. How many, how many, how many hammer time folk we got in the place? Too, 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 too legit. We are going to change the world. We talk to this side. Maybe y'all will get it. We are going to change the world. We are going to change the world. If I don't have nobody else with me, that's fine. I'll do it by myself. But I think there's some harvesters that say we are going to change the world. One question. Ask your neighbor the question and answer them. Let me just say this so I make sure they get it on DVD and CD. Uh, for Bible College, you can go to the website to find out more information. Amen. Everybody stand on your feet with me. Hallelujah. Father, we honor you. We all know a guy who only occasionally shaves for big occasions, and it's because that occasional shave really hurts. It's the time of year for big occasions, and yet there he is, suffering with that cheap drugstore razor. Let's help him out. Henson Shaving's line of razors, built with aerospace precision, deliver a smooth shave your dad, brother, and even son can enjoy, eventually. With replacement blades just 10 cents each, you'll buy it once, and they'll use it for life. How's that for the perfect gift? Celebrate with 100 free blades on your first purchase, and no subscription headaches. HensonShaving.com slash holiday. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. Viator is a website and app where you can book travel experiences like hiking Mount Kilimanjaro in Tanzania or enjoying the views while cruising on a catamaran in the Caribbean. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. With over 300,000 bookable experiences in 190 countries, there's something for everyone. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. When you book a travel experience with Viator, there's always flexibility and support with free cancellation, payment options, and 24-7 service. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10. That's V-I-A-T-O-R-10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator.